you know, when I got your bio, the first thing that struck me was this is someone who is finding his way to wow. Well, it's not just the pressure from you know my father. There's societal pressures as well too. There's just people saying, well, you're you're in your early twenties, you're having fun, but one day you'll settle down, you'll have a real job, a real career. Which for me was always a slap in the face because I worked with people who were essentially they were called lifers, you know, uh, people who are professional servers, professional bartenders. And I feel like they were just cast it aside as like, oh, they're just, they, they failed in life and now they just work in restaurants, which is ridiculous. Some of these people made more money than some of my friends who have degrees. And I was like, well, I can make a living out of this. But it was just one of those, how can I put it? One of those issues I just had to come to terms with and just be accepting of, you know, my, my path. I realized, you know, this is not the path I wanted to go down. I didn't want to study. I didn't want to do this. I wanted to, at first I wanted to have fun, I wanted to be happy. And being happy for me meant pursuing my interests and pursuing these different paths that just led me to different adventures. Who are you? And where are you going? What do you want? Together we'll find the ideal path on The Way to Wow Show with your host, Kevin Bemmel. So for our First episode in what is now our newly crowned studio here at Allendale's. We have something really special in store for you. Our bartender is Bryant Orozco. And aside from making what he's been tantalizing me with, it sounds like a fantastic cocktail. We're going to sit down with Bryant and learn about him. And I, I don't know if he would quite call it this. But I would call it almost a quest to understand his heritage. And I think that that's as relevant a way to wow as anything we've ever talked about. So I'm going to turn things over to Bryant. Well, thank you, Kevin. This cocktail we're going to be working on, I like to call the Time and Tulum, which is a very tangy and uh, tamarind-centric cocktail utilizing mezcal, lime juice, curacao, and a tamarind syrup that's uh, cold brewed and steeped overnight. So what we're gonna do first is grab our shaker, and we're gonna start off with one ounce of lime juice. Don't have the proper pouring vessel, but we'll make it work. One ounce of lime juice. We're gonna do one ounce of our tamarind syrup, which is just gonna be tamarind soaked overnight and made into a pulp, and then mixed in with some brown sugar simple syrup. We are gonna do a half ounce of curacao, which is an orange liqueur. We'll cap back on that. And then we're gonna do an ounce and a half of any mezcal. Preferably you wanna work with a mezcal that's not too smoky, but it has more of a medium smoke and a little sweetness to it. So we'll put that in there. To balance out the acidity, you don't want it to be too acidic. You don't want to lift the pucker up too much. You want to add a little pinch of salt to that. There we go. We'll grab some of our ice over here. We're going to place that into our small shaker. Oh. Ice is a little melted. Got to get the, the bigger ice cubes. there. Let's 
see. Put our big tin, give it a nice little tap, make sure it's nice and snug, shake away. As you're shaking, grab your glassware, get it all set, ready to go. Nice little smack. Then, before we put it into our glassware, shown over here, we're gonna add a little bit of soda water. Kind of give it a little effervescence, a little bubbly. And since we're making a cocktail for two here, we'll just add a little splash here. A little splash there. We'll add some more ice to our glasses. That way our drink stays nice and cool. Guy out. Give it a little swirl. One there. One there. And to finish that off here, to add a little extra sweetness, we're going to garnish it with an orange wedge. If you happen to have any sal de gusano, it's always nice to add a little sprinkle above the oranges here. And there you go. It's your time in Tulum. What are the purpose and mission supporting your identity? Oh, great, thank you. You're very welcome. Cool. Cheers. Cheers. Wow. Yeah, tangy tart. Yeah, but yeah, tangy tart, a little bit smoky, mm -hmm. probably from the mezcal, no? Right. Yeah. Mmm. <laughs> so good, have a seat. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. From when you, uh, Told me about the recipe. I was thinking, this, this has got to be something really unique. So. Right. It's perfect for this weather too. It's... Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great summertime cocktail. So, you know, when I got your bio, the first thing that struck me was this is someone who is finding his way to Wow, which, as you know, is you know the name of the show. Right. And um, I don't think it's you know, Wow, what you want. Who are you? It's not a destination. It's it's a journey, and it seemed to me that you were that you are on a journey, a journey of discovery, self-discovery, but discovery of of the things that interest you, that you have passion for. Um, normally, I start out a, an interview by you know reading a bio, but rather than doing that, I thought just start out by having you. Tell us, you know, a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are today, because, uh, uh, you know, it, it's the, the sort of twists and turns your life has taken are, are really, I think, quite fascinating. And I think we, we can all use it as kind of an object lesson. So just why don't you tell us kind of, you know, in your own words, right, um, where you started, where you've gone, where, where you're headed. Oh, well, where do I start? Well, I guess where I got to today, well, I'm born and raised in Long Beach, but I'm a first-generation son of uh, immigrants from Mexico. And we were fortunate enough that my parents finally got their legal documents to travel back and forth to Mexico. And every summer, we would go to either my dad's hometown in Nayarit, uh, to the States. There were several cities and towns we would go to. But I do recall summers spending them in sugarcane fields, corn fields, agave fields. 
and running up and down those fields and you know gain, being able to see where my family, my heritage came from. On my mom's side, they're more, they're located in nor northern Mexico, in the state of Sonora, which is south of Arizona. Very deserted, but as you go towards the mountains, there's a lot more, uh, say cattle ranches, and that's where my, you know, my uh, other part of my heritage came from. Mm -hmm. So to be able to, to witness my family, herd cattle, be on horseback, and just see the, uh, just the beautiful landscapes of the desert and the mountains. I mean, it was just something, it was, it instilled something in me as a child. And I've always retained that mentality as, you know, coming back to the city and thinking, man, I wish I were back in the mountains or the desert or the beaches. You know, I'm sorry, you think of that kind of lifestyle as being something, you know, from a hundred years ago, right? I mean, you see movies about the Old West or this or that, right? right. We, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of people who live that way now, but I, it, it, they, they don't really come into our, you know, our, our daily cognizance. So. Right. I mean, sure. I, I still visit family that still lives the same way. They retain the old... Um, the, I don't want to say the old valleys, but the old styles of living, the old, you know, the old work, herding cattle, going off to the mountains, you know, t tending to the land, tending to their crops, and it's nice to be able to see that and still retain that connection with my family. For sure. So, growing up after high school, I had the idea that I was supposed to go to college. I was supposed to receive a degree and be successful. It was something that was instilled in me, you know, growing up, especially coming from immigrant parents. So I went to school, and the more I studied, the more I realized I did not like studying things that did not pertain to my, my interests. I figured I wanted to get to medical school because I was always told, you sh you're going to be successful, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you have to be one of those things, right? <laughs> and this is going to... You're sure you're not Jewish, right? <laughs> you've got, you got to be a doctor, a lawyer, accountant. All I heard growing up was you have to be a doctor, right. a lawyer, accountant. All right. yeah. And then especially being the oldest, too, being the oldest son, it was always that, that mounting pressure where it's like you have to be successful. You also have to be the example for your younger brother. So it was one of those things. Long story short, that didn't work out. But um, as... I was aiming to go to medical school. I figured, you know what, I, I'm going to try to get my prereqs in biochemistry. I enjoyed the classes, I just did not like studying. Mm -hmm. So I would kind of read ahead, I would bounce around some chapters and not study for my exams, and I completely dropped out of that, and I figured, well, maybe I'll do something easier. I just want to make money right away. I'll get into nursing. Mm -hmm. So I took the prerequisites for nursing, took a course in microbiology, and at that time I was already working in their service industry, working with craft beers and wine, learning how to ferment, learning a little of the process and the history behind it. So with the last of my financial aid money, I bought brewing equipment and I dropped out of school. So I was like, oh, now I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to work and I'm just going to keep on studying what I want to study. Mm -hmm. And as that progressed for a couple of years, I ended up finding myself behind different styles of bars, from craft beer bars to gastropubs to wine bars, and then you know, got into cocktails, which started getting me into the realm of distillates. And I started studying distillates. I remember reading about tequila and mezcal, and I fairly recalled my grandmother talking about a type of mezcal that I used to make in northern Mexico, referred to Bacanora. And I remember trying so with my uncles. You know, it was a couple of drunken nights in Mexico. They would, you know, after drinking beer all day, they would bring out this unmarked, unlabeled bottle from someone's pickup <laughs> truck or from someone somewhere in the depths of someone's house. And I would drink this. I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. <laughs> 15 years later, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing, you know? <laughs> so it's interesting how not just your interests change over time, but how your palate changes over time, too. So to kind of put those interests, I was finding, just throughout my, my, my uh, what would I call it, I guess my, my scholastic life, and dropping out of school to pursue just my interest and working several jobs here and there, I started figuring out, well, I do like learning about alcohol, 
but I also like learning about my family and my heritage. And to this day, I still keep on finding those connections between those two interests. So how is it that, you know, you said, okay, college isn't for me, right? Um, how did your parents respond to what I think they might have felt was kind of a rejection of, of, of their plan for you, you know? And, and, and I think some parents even look at that as a rejection of themselves, right? right. It's like, well, you're, you're our promise for the future. <laughs> oh, you've, you've destroyed the future, right? right. How, how did your parents respond to that? You know, they both reacted very differently. Um, my mom, always very nurturing, very supportive. She said, mijo, just keep on doing what you want to do, and you're, you're going to find yourself eventually. And she was very supportive the entire way. My father, on the other hand, eventually he turned you know, uh, the other way and was more supportive. But in the beginning, he was angry. He was just telling me, what are you doing with your life? You're wasting your life. You're just working these jobs at these Grammy bars, and you're working yourself to death, and you're drinking every night. It's like, first of all, I'm drinking every other night. And, you know, <laughs> it was just one of those things just to kind of keep up poking at him, just to kind of get a reaction out of him. But it was always one of those things, too, where I still bring it up to this day, where my father would tell me, everything you're doing regarding, you know, your studies in alcohol, drinking is going to take you nowhere. So now when I find myself in the most remote re regions of Mexico looking for mezcal or agave distillates, I like to send him a selfie in the middle of nowhere, and I'll just send him a little quote saying, drinking will take you nowhere. <laughs> 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 I still rub it in his face, but you know, it's all in good humor now. And, uh, so, and, and is, is that how you dealt with... I'm, Look, criticism from a father, right? It can be it can be pretty tough. I oh, mean, yeah. fathers are they can be you know with the finger kind of thing you know directed. How did how did you, um, you know, kind of keep your your presence of mind, so to speak? You know, your your be able to you know continue doing what you're doing despite the kind of pressure that your father brought on you. Well, it's not just the pressure from you know my father. There's societal pressures as well too. There's just people saying, "Well, you're you're in your early twenties. You're having fun, but one day you'll settle down. You'll have a real job, a real career." Which for me was always a slap in the face because I worked with people who were essentially they were called lifers, you know, uh, people who are professional servers, professional bartenders, and I feel like they were just casted aside as like, "No, oh, they're just they they failed in life, and now they just work in restaurants," which is ridiculous. Some of these people made more money than some of my friends who have degrees, and I was like, "Well." I can make a living out of this. But it was just one of those, how can I put it? One of those issues I just had to come to terms with and just be accepting of, you know, my, my path. I realized, you know, this is not the path I wanted to go down. I didn't want to study. I didn't want to do this. I wanted, at first I wanted to have fun. I wanted to be happy. And being happy for me meant pursuing my interests and pursuing these different paths that just led me to different adventures. So you, you mentioned in the bio you sent me that you were like about to take your exams and, and then you just decided, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this other thing. And you, didn't, you actually didn't do your exams after studying for them and all that. Mm -hmm. What was the, I don't know, the, the aha moment or was there an aha moment that it suddenly hit you, I just, I have to go in another direction. This is just not the right thing for, for, for me and for my life. Well, yeah, the exams you're referring to, I was actually taking my WSET, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, which is a, um, I guess it's a prestigious 
piece of paper. In the end, it's just a piece of paper. But it was something I was doing to you know, study more about wine. I, at one point, I worked fine dining, and I figured I wanted to go down the sommelier route. Mm -hmm. As we were studying wine, it was interesting to me because I got to learn about different cultures and different regions. We would learn about wine from France, from Italy, from Portugal, and each region we would spend a couple of weeks or days on a, on a region. We would spend weeks on France, and I was already fully aware that there was wine growing in Mexico. So during one of our lectures on the New World, which I was, I always kind of rejected that term in the world of wine with the old world and new world. And I feel like it kind of gives a, an air of like classism and a class of status where the old worlds were always the most prestigious wines and new worlds were, you know, lands that were colonized by these old world countries. And when I asked about more information regarding Mexican wine, you know, this master sommelier, there's only a, a handful here in California, just told me essentially, oh, yeah, it exists, it's, it's not that good. And he would carry on for France or Italy or some other European country for a couple more weeks. And for me, I, I wasn't hurt, but I wasn't shocked. And I, I never like to make things about, you know, a racial issue. Or I don't like to make it as a, I don't like to single myself out. I try to fit in with the crowd as much as possible. But that moment, I had this almost moment of clarity where, you know, I'm, I've always been a student to sit, to be sitting in the front of the class. I love taking notes. I love, I love asking questions. And then as I turn around, I realize, well, there's me and one of the person, the only people of color here in this classroom. And I'm taking all this time and spending all this money to learn about cultures that not, don't necessarily pertain to me. Maybe we were colonized by a couple of my, <laughs> my assets were colonized by these people. So I'm like, you know what? I need to apply all this knowledge and figure something out. But I was, I, there was this, this something bubbling in me. I don't know if it was anger. I don't know if it was curiosity. But after completing the the course, and on the eve of my exam, and it was a really long exam, I studied my butt off, you know, index cards, notes, it was, like, you know, it, was like, it was like being in college all over again. Right. I figured, you know what, this, this isn't for me, it doesn't resonate with me culturally, my, my, my mind is there, it's interesting, but it, it's not me. Mm. So one day to another, I, I didn't even think about it, I, I was in such an urge to go back to Mexico that I took my car, I took my backpack, I had probably three changes of clothes in a notebook, and I just, I, I took off. I told my parents on the way back, you know, on the way down to Mexico, hey guys, uh, I'm going to be back in a week or two, maybe, and they were concerned because it was just kind of one of those things I just left out of the blue. Mm -hmm. Turns out a week or two ended up being seven months. Wow. Yeah. I had to leave my car, I couldn't cross my car, I left everything in my car. And as I'm packing everything out, and I figured I was going to take a bus down south, I find my bag of bar tools. And I was like, oh, I forgot to take these out before I left. And as I'm having this moment, I was like, do I turn back? Do I go back home? I'm, I've been here for a couple of weeks, or do I keep on going down south? I took my backpack, took my bar tools, and that's all I had on my person for, for a couple of months. Oh, it, it, it's almost like an odyssey. Right. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, the, uh, the sort of the classic voyage of discovery. Right. So what did, what did you find? What did you find down there? Well, I found a lot of misery and despair within myself. I didn't realize I was going through a very, I was going through a depression. And I think I was kind of escaping it. And I was utilizing this idea, this notion of finding myself to kind of leave everything behind. I... It was very unprofessional of me, but given it was a different time in my life. But I left my, I think I had two jobs at a time. I left them without notice. I just told them, hey guys, I'm sorry, I'm not coming back. It was something I probably would never do again. But 
I realized I was either escaping my old self or trying to find a path for my new self. Mm -hmm. And as I'm going down there, trying to deal with my inner turmoils, I started finding more about myself. I started finding out that my family in northern Mexico used to make a type of mezcal. They used to make bacanora. So I started realizing, wow, this is something that runs in my blood. I should probably see, learn more about mezcal and more about agave distillates. And the further I went down south, and I went to my dad's side of the family, I found out that on that, on that end, I believe that my great-grandparents were also involved in the world of tequila. And we're talking generations ago when they would load their mules with barrels and they would buy from tequila and sell to different cantinas. And I was like, wow. So on both sides of my family, this runs rampant. That's, I found that very unique and interesting. So me being you know, the, the curious person, I started going online. I started looking for different agave distillates and seeing their origins and telling myself, you know what, I'm going to go to this town and I'm going to try to locate or source this distillate, or I'm going to go to this state, I'll see what happens. And for a good while, I relied on intuition. I didn't have a game plan. I didn't have anything. I just had my life savings, which I was quickly dwindling. <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm spending all this money, but I'm, I'm just going down the rabbit hole, and I'm going to see where life takes me. And it was just following intuition for a while. So if... if I so this is my this is my my question, and unfortunately we're running out of time. So um, it's it's gone way too fast. Can you boil down for us one or two principles that you live your life by? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> one or two principles that you live your life by now that that keep you out of that that sort of sad, dark place and, and, and keep you optimistic for the future? You know, if I really had to boil it down, the first one for me is just remain curious. Pursue the curiosity. It's going to bug you forever, and I don't want to be on my deathbed knowing that I could have I left something unanswered in my life. And the second thing I could probably say is if you're not having fun, stop doing it. Do something else that makes you happy. So stay curious, have fun. Okay. And with those two together, you'll, you'll, to use the language of the show, you'll, you'll find your way to wow, or you'll find your path to wow. Wonderful. Brian, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Kevin. Fascinating story. Thank you. I learned something really important from talking to Bryant. And that is, when you're with someone who's on his way to wow, there's a peacefulness about the person. Even when Bryant was talking about times in his life where he was agitated or upset, still there was this aura of peace about him because he's on his journey and he knows it's the journey he wants to be taking. Let's remember the advice that Bryant gave us. First of all, be curious and stay curious. Maybe you can't make your curiosity your profession right now. Pursue it as a hobby. But what, what you find interesting, find some way to engage in it. And have fun. I mean, life gives us lots and lots of opportunities to be sad, to be upset. Let's, let's find the times to have fun and let's make that part of our way to wow.
courage at all times, my friends. Marie, you are still my belle, darling. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.